0: Tough St. Cleveland, Nick Wolf with you here. It is, oh, towards the end of August here. Another beautiful day. Getting ready for September. This is Tough Scene Collection 3. Uh, this is just a little selection of bits and reviews, mainly reviews for this week, um, just so I have something small to put out every week. We just wrapped up episode 5 of Tough Scene Cleveland. Um, we're talking baseball, we're talking don't say that you're racist. With Joey Sever and Tim Gradton. There's five episodes out there. I encourage you to get caught up. You're going to have about a month to catch up. September, fir- the first Friday of September, uh, we're going to be on hi- hiatus till then. And then we will return with the first part of our three-part Jigsaw Rise and Fall story. And uh, it's going to be a full in depth story of my basically beginning of working in clubs and playing music uh, and it's all intertwined with one club in Parma called the jigsaw I've you listened to this show before you've heard me mention it you've heard me talk about it it's a big part of my life um, and I want to do it justice and uh, you know now that we've done these five episodes you've heard all this you've heard me go from just starting over again after eight years of not doing anything to where I'm at now but it's still all been a learning pro- learning and pro- you know, process. I, um, I don't love these first five episodes and I really appreciate anyone for sticking through it and listening, but it was something I needed to do to get to a point. I needed practice. I needed it just to, to get running again and get the, the, the blood flowing again in doing this. So when we return in September, I will, uh, one, I'm getting the equipment to properly record everything, and to do this, um, I've been doing everything just off my phone through Anchor. That's why if you notice some of the edits are real rough, and there's some choppy, and there's some um, some choppy stuff, and there's some pauses in between things. That's all going to be done uh, by the time we start up with the season again. Like I said, it'll be the first week in October. Part one of the Jigsaw story. It's going to have um. You know, I want to have sound bites. I want to have full production. I want to have little clips of some of the bands that played. And although I will be telling the story of the jigsaw, it'll also be intertwined with my personal story of going from basically a loser who, I tell you, at one point there was I didn't know anything that I wanted to be or could be. I had no direction. I was just a follower. I was just hung out with my friends and I did what they did and I blended it into the crowd and I was miserable for. 20 years of my life, the first 20 years, and uh, I took a job at a club, and I moved into a house with a bunch of maniacs, and everything changed in my life, and things aren't ever been the same, and although I've had some rough points in life, I've always had music and the ability to be an entertainer to get me through since then, and including now. Uh, Right now, I'll be honest with you, just like everybody else, this COVID stuff my life's been pretty tough. It's been uh, pretty sad. I'm a single guy. I I can't see a lot of family because I don't want to get up sick. Um, you can't go out and meet people. you know, go to bars. You're kind of stuck, isolated, and it's really hard when you're by yourself. Uh, it, it is. And um, sometimes you may be willing to fall into substances and things like that to make things easier. And I don't I, I, didn't have to do that. And that is definitely a very strong danger for me because of uh, this, honestly, just having something creative to get me going again. I really needed it. And uh, once again, to everyone that's listened, I really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much I really needed to be doing this again. But now that I am doing it again, it's time to finally start doing it right. So the first week in October, I will have a date as we get closer, uh, will be part of episode six, part one of the rise and fall of the jigsaw. And the whole, uh, you know, the idea of doing more of a documentary style episode is something I'm going to do from time to time. Obviously, a big part of this show is to give my opinions about entertainment and especially music. But as you hear, I like telling stories and having people tell stories about scenes. It's called Tough Scene Cleveland. I've always been really into the idea of a scene that a couple people and a bar and a venue can start doing something. Something just explodes. And then you start seeing different areas of that city, of that scene. Things come creeping out of the woodwork that get picked up and become this overall part of what the scene is. And whether it's, you know, uh, the Lower East Side of Manhattan in the 70s, or it was Seattle in the 90s, or it was, uh, you know, Austin, Texas in the 2000s. Those are all great. We all know about this. But every state, every town, every city has its scene, has its band, has its stories. And as we get through this, I would like to know every one of those. As you see, if you've listened to this show, you know that I've... uh, you can really get a good idea of a small town like Parma, which isn't known for having a rock and roll scene. But if you listen to a lot of our episodes, and you might go back on YouTube and listen to like the episodes with Jim LaPucci or Tony Erba or Steve eggs, um, or any of the guys that I played music with. We've kind of told bits and pieces of this story. And even Parma has a story and that's what the jigsaw thing is, is actually Parma has a pretty goddamn crazy story. And, uh, that's the part of that. It's my story. It's the bands who've played with story. of so many other people's story, and I want to tell it. But there's a million other stories. There are groups of people in Parma. There's musicians that have their own circles that I don't even know. Crazy shit. It's a small town. The Jigsaw is the only club you would think so, but you never know where the pockets of music, and I definitely would like to expose all of those. So, uh, we will do stuff like that from time to time, like the jigsaw stuff, but also we're going to do the other episodes, uh, our regular format too. We're not going to change that. Uh, just take a little break from it for a minute and I'll still jump on these and talk and give my opinion if I have to, cause that's, I do like the old, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a, Two schools of thought when I came back to doing this. Do I want to do this like a modern podcast? You know, like the Rogan show, he kind of just has people come up and they talk about stuff, you know? And that's awesome. And a lot of people seem to like that. And that is part of what I want to do anyways with having bands. I just want to have that free thing where they can kind of hang out and we'll talk about stuff, but we'll talk about their band too. And I like that format and I get it. But... Eight years ago when I went to school, and obviously when I was 13 and I first heard Howard Stern and wanted to be him, basically, uh, the idea of the DJ, of the guy that controls the world, of uh, an organic show that has callers, you know, regular callers and guests and and friends of the show and and different bits and reoccurring things like that and doing comedy pieces – that's something i 've always loved, and uh that 's the radio I always dreamed of doing, so even though things have changed a little bit i I don't feel the need to give that up. I want to meet somewhere in the middle because if i can't if I had to do a show just like like Rogan or any of those guys, I mean that's great for them. But it's not what I dreamed of doing when I was 13. It's not the kind of radio I dreamed of doing, the world I dreamed of creating. And I respect all that shit, and I like it. There is a part to where the audience does want something like that, to where it's just people talking in its free form and maybe not so much opinion based on one host. But um, I'm not going to give up the DJ style of doing it either because I, I love that. I really love the world you can create with that. I love Theater of the Mind. This is a radio show. Um, At least in the way I want to do it, it's being released like a podcast. But I love all those aspects of the radio, using sound bites and voices to make it sound like something else is going on. I know that's stupid and corny, but it's if it's done wrong, when it's done right, it's still something we all love. It's timeless, and I, I don't want that to go away. So... That's kind of the direction we're going here, but I'm I'm going to keep it free form. If if I want to do a documentary type episode, I'm going to, and that's what we're going to have in October. And you can hear those as always on Spotify, Anchor, uh, Google, Google Podcasts. Uh, we're on a bunch of stuff. Um, I think on Anchor it gives the list. If you're listening on Anchor and you want to leave a message, there's an option. Please do it. It's the way I can get feedback. I don't really, I'm not going to be a comment guy. Uh, I'm not going to look at the comments on pages. I hate the idea of comments. I don't give a fuck what the normal person has to say. It's real easy to leave a comment. But if you want to leave a message and leave your voice, I will play it on the show. And it doesn't always have to be nice. You want to rip on me, go ahead. As long as you're not fucking, you know, belligerent, racist, or sexist in a, in a non-tongue-and-cheek, uh, stupid, sarcastic way, then... uh I got no problem with putting it up. So even if you want to call and say, Nick, you fucking suck, I'll put it up. Now I'm going to have the ability to respond to that on my show so without you being able to answer back. So just understand that. But uh, use that option on the Anchor app if you want to have something to say. I really would appreciate that. Oh, Let's see what else do we have going on. So we got a good collection for you. I'm going to wrap this up here in a second. Uh, we have the show report. We got a couple reviews. I know I uh, watched... Um something country. What the hell is the guy's name? Oh whatever. There's Lovecraft Country. I'll have a review about that. I'm gonna try to get a couple band reviews here before I put this up. And that'll be about it. Just a quick little in and out. And once again the show will return the first week in October with the rise and fall of the Jigsaw Part one. All right, everybody, enjoy the collection. I'll see you soon. Tough Cleveland, <laughs> and now it is time for the Cl- Tough in Cleveland show report. This is our regular look at what is going on in the city of Cleveland. Of course, there is not a whole lot going on right now because it is literal death to do something. But we're going to keep the fires burning. Eventually, one day, there will be plenty of stuff to talk about. Until then, though, we will be bringing you the show report. Um, As meager and pathetic as it may be, you will get your plate of gruel and you will eat it. Every Friday night, of course, we have the Angry Hour. That is... Tustin' Cleveland's sister show hosted by Sam Sinister. All the music I don't play, you can go listen to Sam's show and he will play that music. The best in local, regional, national, and legendary punk rock. In fact, you may even hear my voice on his show from time to time. You can find it on uh, Mixcloud and Facebook. He has new episodes up every Friday. I love listening to the show. I, uh, I listen to it while I do my running. Um, it's great. It goes by really quick. Keeps my pace up because Sam's always playing the fast music. I never get lazy. Keeps my heart rate up. So thank you, Sam Sinister, for keeping me healthy. And if you want to thank him too, listen to Angry Hour. Also in the, um, competing radio brands that I'm still going to plug anyway. Good old college radio. They're still doing that, right? We can always count on college radio. And tonight, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., you got Millions of Dead Chicken Heads. They're also uh, the, the Pandemic Lockdown Show, which you can also get um, recorded versions of those shows on WCSB.org. But if you want to listen to it live, it is on 89.3 WCSB Millions of Dead Chicken Heads Pandemic Lockdown Show. Wrestling is returning, not to Cleveland. To Indianapolis, but it is returning. AIW, Sunday, September 16th, presents I Assure, I Assure You We're Open at the White River Celebration Plaza in Indianapolis. You can get tickets on Eventbrite. Not so sure what the, the whole social distancing thing is over on, in Independence or in, in Indianapolis. I know how it is in Independence, just like how it is here. It's the next city over. But in Indianapolis, I don't know how they do things there. So, uh, Be safe. There's no specific um, information about that. So, you know, it's up to you. Make your own decision and be safe. You're an adult. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This Saturday, it'll be August 22nd. So if you're watching, listening to this tomorrow, uh, Lords of the Highway are playing at Bud and Tutti's 601 West High Avenue in New Philadelphia, Ohio. Once again, I'm not sure about their social distancing. I'm assuming they are, but it doesn't say anything about it. But if you want to go check out Lords of the Highway Saturday eight PM, that is how you can go about doing it. Brent Kirby will be playing every Thursday at the Old Wine Cellar in Olmstead Falls. Call the Old Wine Cellar for any information. Um, I believe that also is social distance. I know most of Brent's shows are uh, that are like out in the open or stuff, and you know people are separated and everything. But actually, but as with anything. Your own discretion is what you got to go with. And then we have, uh, and then obviously, uh, finally here in our testing report, we're still looking for justice for Sheila. Sheila Wallace, gunned down by some piece of shit. January 17, 2019. No one knows anything. No one said anything. The investigation's still open. Help get justice. If you were around there, you saw or heard anything, Somebody talking shit at the bar. Something. It's got to go. You just, things like this just don't disappear. It comes back, and the, the family will have justice someday. And if you can help them, call Crime Stoppers, 216-252-7465, and... Um, If that doesn't work, try 7463. I'm not exactly what I have written here. I think it's five, though. Um, That is anonymous, and I believe there is a reward. So if you know any information, call Crime Stoppers. So that is what is going on uh, here for the end of August. Just another quick reminder. This show will be back with brand-new episodes the first Friday of October. We'll be back with our Jigsaw Part 1 of our three-part Jigsaw miniseries. But until then, uh, I will keep uh, having this up. I'll do like a collection or I'll release something every week so that you at least get the show report. Hopefully, we will have more to report about. But until then, well, I normally say uh, don't just sit there go out and be part of Saint Cleveland, but uh, you can just sit there for now. All right, Saint Cleveland. Dustin Cleveland, here's just a couple quick thoughts about a couple bands I checked out. Since we are a music podcast, I figured I should, like, pay attention to bands a little bit, even though, obviously, it's really hard because there's not much going on. But I've dug through the surface of Facebook, sifted through all the garbage for you, and I've actually managed to find two bands that I'm going to spotlight at least somewhat for you in a little way, in, at least in some way. Um, the first group is called Frequence. that's F-R-E-E-K W-E-N-T-S you can find them on Facebook they have uh, pages on Facebook and Instagram, just look in the band name I uh, don't have any sort of like label information, they are um, I believe unsigned They are seem more of like an avant-garde kind of group. They're putting out new uh, short little videos and remixes up on their Facebook page. So I would recommend just checking them out on Facebook. That seems to be the best place to get their music. Um, This band actually came to my attention. Well, not necessarily the band, but uh, last year when I did the Lottery League, I noticed... Among the very colorful young ladies uh, walking around, there was one a very colorful young lady. She had, like, blue hair and her head shaved. Seemed very interesting. I don't know her at all. I didn't even meet her. But uh, that's where I first remember seeing Fern Entley, or Enley. I'm sorry. And um, I caught her project, and it was definitely out there. It was cool. I can't quite remember. I know I liked it, though. I know I remember, like, watching her lottery league band. So when I saw that she had another group, um and this is the only names I know is Fern Enley and Alyssa Boyd are the two female fronts. I believe there's a, a couple guys in the band too. Um, but I saw them that they put together this uh, group. I was interested and I, uh, you know, did the whole like thing on Facebook and uh, whatever, forgot about it. Then like last week they posted a video and it was really weird. Um, it was almost like I don't even know what they call it, like dance music, I don't even know what they call it, it's not punk rock or rock and roll or anything like that, it's very avant-garde and weird, but it's cool, these these chicks have a unique style, there's like a D-Light kind of weirdness to it almost, if I had to like compare, and I don't know the music well, so this comparison may be weird, but I, something kind of like D-Light, um, both the ladies, they have a very, they're both of them uh like uh they have an energy like they, i feel like i'm watching like uh what even, like the comedy pairing like uh you have like uh broad city or like um what is it the um paul simon the simon and garfunkel Whatever the Garfunkel and Simon, whatever the two chicks that do that. Now this this is serious music. The Frequence, it's not like comedy music, but it's just kind of they have that like chemistry together that like some of those groups have, and it's something you catch on to right away. So I'd like to see an album. I'd like to see a full release, but until then, I tell you to go to Facebook, check out Frequence F R E A K W E E N T S. Um. And check out their videos, like their page, and uh, so that you will be in the ground seat once they start putting out stuff. And uh, they were playing out up until the pandemic happened, but obviously that changed. Um, but, I, I, you know, as soon as uh, the pandemic's over, I'm sure, and they can get out playing, I'm sure they'll be out. Again, so go ahead and get a little jump on that by checking them out on Facebook. And then uh, there's another band I saw today from Pittsburgh called Fuck Yeah Dinosaurs. Um, I checked out their page. There was a live show that they played. Their new album, 65 Million Beers Ago, just came out. It's their second album. It's available on Spotify or Bandcamp. If you actually want a record... um, go to www.jeffgoldblum.org for their multicolored vinyl that they had printed and no other none other than Cleveland's own Gotta Groove Records. You may not know this, but Gotta Groove Records is the proud employer of good friend of the show, best friend of the show, Steve Eggs. And so I guarantee you if you buy one of these albums from Fuck Yeah Dinosaurs and you buy the you go to www dot Jeff Goldblum.org and you get one of the multicolored vinyl albums from Gotta Groove, I can almost guarantee you that that record will be personally handled by Steve Eggs himself. He will probably put a sticker on it. He may even wrap it in plastic. But I guarantee you that album will pass through Steve Eggs' hands. And actually, I'm going to have to talk to him. Maybe I can get a free copy of this album. I'll send the money to the guys. But I don't want to go to no jeffgoldblum.com I don't... I'm lazy, you can do that I've got connections. I'm gonna to try to see if they work for me, but uh this band um my impressions they're fun it's just fun catchy uh it's all about dinosaurs, but bar rock you know it's the kind of band that my band would play with. they're the kind of band that my band would play with out of town like um silly, kind of dumb. these guys took off their shirts at one point of the show, and I wish I kind of had to turn it off after that uh. <laughs> My band's skinnier than you guys, and we leave our shirts on, guys. Just fucking leave their fucking shirts on. The whole band, they took their shirts off. It's like, we, we don't fucking need that. Like, one, it, the singer needs to, fine. But, guys, it's not, a, it's not a uniform thing. And you, you guys look more like dinosaurs than you do guys that shouldn't be wearing fucking shirts. But, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. And, you know, God for good, good. I, I, what kind of world we live in that big, fat guys d- don't take their shirts off? And none of these guys are big and fat, but, you know, they can use a couple laps. Anyways, I don't know why I'm commenting on their appearance. They're fucking they're a bar band from Pittsburgh. They're pretty good at what they do. They're funny. Um I think in front of a crowd, this was like a live stream show they kinda did at a they did it at a club, but they, I don't know if there was an audience. In front of the club though, they're real fun. These are the kind of drunken loudmouth idiots that my band loves to play with and always had a good time with. So uh these are the kind of guys it seems like that we would have always made friends with. So uh I like this stuff. It's nothing too complicated, fun, verse-chorus-verse-chorus, verse, chorus, punk rock. Uh, nothing. None of them are like going to blow you away as far as the riffs they're playing and shit, but they all seem to be on the same page as far as the band goes, and it seems to be a really fun, good time. Um, I don't normally, in the practice of saying nice things about anything from Pittsburgh, although I don't really care about football all that much, I like the whole hating Pittsburgh aspect of it. Other than, obviously, Pittsburgh's Pride and Joy, Dr. Britt Baker, who I do love. Uh, I wonder if they know her. She could probably do some work on their grills, make them look. Because I don't want to make their appearances, but I'm such a good-looking uh, a star with my beautiful teeth and my, my long, flowing hair that, uh, you know, I want everyone to be as good-looking as me when you play punk rock, because obviously appearances are important. But I like these guys. Uh... I would go check out their album, 65 Million Beers Ago, available on Spotify and Bandcamp. And that is our spotlight of the bands this week. We're going to try to have more bands for you every week. At least uh, put someone out there for you um, new that I've never heard of. It just kind of gets me out checking more stuff out. All right, Tussie Cleveland. All right, here's a quick rant. Uh, so, something that I just, is driving me crazy that I've got to talk about. Uh, <laughs> I've been noticing people are posting up old shows and stuff, and a lot of them are drummers. And let me just... I'm going to do a service for all bands, and I want to talk to just the drummers out there. If you're going to set up a camera... And that's really cool that you thought of the set up a camera, because most time, drummers don't think of that shit, because drummers are morons, and to get them just to set their drums up, and be on stage at the right time, well, that's a victory right there, let someone else handle the videotaping, you got a lot on your plate, but sometimes you do have a drummer that is, uh, they the, the, the get the initiative, they want to be part of the band, they want to show what they can do, and they bring their phone and there, they want to take video of the band too, and that's awesome, course having everyone take pride in the band there's nothing better than that but it's one thing that drummers don't seem to fucking understand <clears throat> drummers please put your ears up real close to the the speaker whatever you're listening to nobody wants to see a video of your fucking back we really don't even give a shit about you in fact we've created a whole industry of machines to completely replace you There is no uh, electronic guitar machine. There's no electronic singer machine. There's no electronic bass player machine. No. There's an electronic drum machine. And why is that? Because not only are you fucking dumb, but your pain's in the asses. So you finally take initiative to do something for the band. They have something to release. And you got this picture of awful quality. All we can hear is your goddamn fucking kick drum and you are back. And some of you drummers that do this, I respect. I like a lot of you. I think as drummers, you're fucking amazing. But your video taking style leads me to believe that there's a screw loose somewhere up in your fucking head. And it's such a like arrogant drummer thing. Like, yeah, yeah, no, just as long as just this video, just for me, so I can see what I do. No one wants that. Fine, you take that. That's for you to watch. Disappear. Don't release it on anything. Don't make your bandmates show. My, I had a. So I'll give you a personal story, and I hope he doesn't kill me. But I'm going to talk about my drummer, Mark from the Nick Wolf Band, and I love Mark. He's no longer in the band. There's issues. But Mark did do a lot of things. Mark went out of his way a lot of times to help out the band. And I appreciate Mark's uh, everything he did for the band during the period of time we was in it. The reason we had a separation were reasons that I felt weren't going to change and that had been brought up to him many, many times over. And despite of all the other good things he did to help the band, those couple things didn't change. So we had to come with a parting of ways. And, And that sucks. So I'm not trying to trash him as a person. Thank you for everything you've done with the band. But he started doing this, too. And he set up this camera behind him. Like, dude, if you want to take video, like, that'd be awesome. Like, I don't always think to do it. It'd be cool to have someone to actually remember in video. And these are just these awful video. And he'd be like, we might have to start the song again in practice because he didn't get the right shot of it. So. He- It's fucking practice. But okay, drummer, we'll fucking humor you because half all we do is humoring you because if you decide you don't want to play ball, we're fucked because everyone needs a fucking drummer. So I guess you win and we got to deal with your stupidity every once in a while. And he loved having that camera pointed to his fucking back. It does nothing for the band. So don't post the fucking shit. Luckily, he never posted it. No one wants to see... A thing from it sitting on the corner of the bar, like the railing, or your phone's sitting there. It's like the drummer's neck. All you hear is the noise from him. Drummers, no one gives a shit, so please, uh, this is a public service, stop posting up drummer view pictures, nobody wants that, and also, can you just refrain from singing in bands too, because I don't care how fucking good you are, I no one wants to see a drummer, a, a singer as a drummer, I, I, I don't give a shit, there's no band, other than like what, Cream, and like Genesis, and The Mentors. Where the drummer, anyone wanted to hear the drummer sing. So let's just not do that anymore. And I'm not going to beat up anyone who does. I understand if you're a singer-songwriter, sometimes you want to play drums because you can't find a reliable drummer. Okay, cool. Well, I'm still not for it. I think it sucks. And I think you need to stop. No matter how good you are at it, just fucking stop. From Nick Wolf to you, I ask you, both drummer, drummers, all the dumb things you do, please stop. All right, what do we got here? Uh, Perry Mason, season one, HBO. This is a full season spoiler review. So if you haven't watched Perry Mason yet, don't listen. to it, Unless you don't care. If you want to know what happens and go back and watch it later, then fine, listen. But if you don't want it spoiled, don't listen to this. Although I will say some of my favorite shows, I actually did not get in too f- Uh, on the first episode. A lot of shows I love, actually, I kind of knew a little bit of what happened when I got in. I got in on later seasons. Sopranos, I started watching in like season three or four. Uh, The Wire, I didn't start watching, actually. I watched it when season four first started, and I had no idea. Fresh, right there, the the season premiere of uh, season four, and had to kind of go back I watched, like, uh, season three on BET, and then I had to go back and watch season one and realize that that guy, D, that they mentioned every once in a while was actually a pretty important character, and that side cop, Jimmy McNulty, was actually pretty important, too. Um, So whatever you want to do, I'm not the boss of you. Go ahead. You want to spoil the whole thing before you watch it? I'll help you out with that. Uh, This uh, show is brought to you by Rollin Jones and Ron Fitzgerald. Tim Van Patten, of course, legendary Tim Van Patten from Sopranos to, I think he's directed episodes of Game of Thrones. I mean, if it's awesome TV, I get him and Terrence Winter confused, so maybe there was Terrence Winter on Game of Thrones, whatever. If it's amazing TV, though, Tim Van Patten's had something to do with it. Also, I think he goes back to Oz, so Tim Van Patten is a very uh, long-time HBO guy, and I. you see his name on something on HBO, you know it's gonna be good. Another the other main director, and if I get this wrong, um Denise Gums Irvin, I want to say Denise Gums Ergvin. Whatever, maybe I got that wrong, but uh that is the other main director of the show. And obviously, this was all based on Earl Stanley Gardner's novels from the early twentieth century. This takes place in the thirties. So you can kind of almost view it as a sequel or a follow-up to Boardwalk Empire. If you're following HBO stories and you want to watch them historically, because you can, they will actually, you can follow HBO shows from at least the Roman Empire on. And uh, I choose to get my history that way. Uh, But this comes right after Boardwalk Empire. So I kind of like to look at it as like, you know, like uh, on the other side of the country, you know, all That shit's going on, um which actually happened in real life anyways the the commission and all that, but uh yeah, it's got the same kind of feel I think it, they work to get well together uh so many great actors on this uh show, Matthew Reese plays Perry Mason, the most important person on the show, and you've got a show that has guys like uh. John Lithgow, who obviously, obviously is a legend, Harry and the Hendersons, uh, rah, rah, rah. Dexter, rah, 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 rah. I mean, eight billion things he's done. It's John Lithgow, third rock from the sun, obviously. Uh, we also have the amazing and always great Shea Wingingham from Boardwalk Empire. So I guess that screws up the whole being a follow up to Boardwalk Empire thing. Unless maybe he's just a Pete's, like, a relative to um, the Thompsons. But uh, he is amazing. As much as I love him as Eli on Boardwalk, I think Pete Strickland is his signature character. He's just so much fun on this show. Uh, The amazing Eric Lang shows up as one of the cops, uh, the corrupt cops, Holcomb. And uh, most people may not know him yet, but you will in a couple more shows. He was Radzinski on Lost... uh, He's one of the guys in the Dharma Project, the one that's like on Sawyer's ass and doesn't believe him. Uh, he was He's in Narcos. He plays this shadowy like CIA agent. Man, this guy is really good. He has a small role on this, but I love seeing him. Um, Steven Root, the amazing character actor, Steven Root. Uh, Bill Dotrieve, Jimmy J. Uh, I mean, I can go on forever. Uh, Artie. Or no, no, I'm sorry, that's Artie. <laughs> I'm getting him in a uh, what's-his-face. Uh, not Artie from um, the, with Gary Shaling's other show. Larry Sanders. I got him confused. That's what's-his-face. Uh, God damn it, I can't remember. But it doesn't matter. But whatever. Steve ru been in a million things. You know him. Um, he's Milton. From, I think I was going to say Milton from Office Space. Uh, but out of all these great people... Matthew Reese, from the previously seen in the Americans, this is where he takes his star turn, and it's around like the sixth episode that it uh, really comes to. So the the story of this show is uh, a child, little Charlie, um, gets kidnapped. It's kind of like a ransom thing, and the parents think that are going to get they pay the ransom, but the child still ends up dead with his chi- with his eyes sewed like his eyes sewed open already. Very creepy. Um, EB is a lawyer played by John Lithgow. He gets the case. He's hired by the father of the baby's dad, who is played by Robert Patrick uh, Baggerly. He hires John Lithgow EB as the lawyer. EB has a detective that he, a PI that he pays to find shit out for him. Um, he hires Perry Mason who's just a detective to work this case. So it starts off Perry Mason's basically a broken man. He's just World War 1 still looms his time in World War 1 still looms after over him. He's living in a, a far, his parents farm which is like taxes and out the ass. He's going to lose it any day now. He's dating um this woman Lupe kind of not really dating her, just banging her, really. And she wants to buy, who runs like an airstrip on his property, and she wants to buy his property, and they kind of have a romantic sort of thing, played by the amazing Veronica Val- Falcone, who is, there's something about this woman, like, she is not traditionally attractive in any way. In fact, I don't, I'm not being mean, but I almost say she's ugly in a lot of ways. But man, when she talks and she's doing her thing, she's so sensual that... She has some rough features on her, but something about her personality and all that, man, she's kind of really, really sexy and just it's all the personality and all that. And I really think Veronica Valcone is amazing in the little bit of time she gets on this show, too. And uh, so that begins the investigation. We find out pretty early that the guys who kidnapped it get murdered by a cop named Ennis. So there's obviously some sort of cover-up cover going on. There's a strong tie-in with the church, which leads us to uh, Tatiana Mas- Maslany character from Open- Orphan Black. Sorry, got a little burping there, just ate lunch. Uh, the chick from or- Orphan Black, who played, you know, the main chick from Orphan Black. She's great on this show, and this is going to be her first criticism. I love her. But her character and her whole storyline is pointless. It has nothing to do with this show and it's the one thing I kind of, if I'm going to have a drawback to this season, I think this season was perfect. I love this first season and it got picked up So, um, for season two. So as far as I'm concerned, it was a $74.3 million well spent by HBO doing this season. But if there's one little pick, it is the Sister Alice storyline, which I think is just kind of weak. It's cool because it allows Tatiana Maslany to be on the show and she's awesome, but really the character, it it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. It's, it's, it's kind of boring. Um, so the church gets involved with, and this, she is like the evangelist, the evangelist, like head of the church. There's elders and stuff that run it, but she's the star of everything. It's all based around her ministry. And, uh, she started off kind of evangel, evangelical, the, the church has kind of gotten away from that, but she's still very ev- evangelical minded as far as like, you know, healing and, you know, the snakes and all the old school kind of traveling um, gospel kind of thing. She's still really stuck in that and having a hard time, you know, being the figurehead for now an actual church and on a congregation, which is run by very pow- powerful people, Baggerly, uh, Robert Patrick chapter being one of them. So most of this, the first part of this uh, season is Perry just kind of putting things together, um, EB trying to really go against Stephen Root's character of Baines, because Baines is the prosecutor, and it's really personal between these two, and Baines kind of has that, fuck you, I'm better than you, kind of laughing at uh E.B. thinks he's kind of a joke. And uh, we kind of go on that way. We learn a little bit more about the investigation. We're introduced to Paul Drake, who's an African-American cop who discovers after the sh- the kidnappers are uh, shot by the the crooked cop, the uh, crooked detective, he's just, Paul Drake's just a patrol cop. He's the one that on the scene and sees the evidence is a little different than the story that the detective wants him to go with. And the detective, Ennis, really kind of leans on him at one point he actually intimidates him with his wife and kind of threatens both of them and then buys their groceries um and you kind of really feel for paul drake being a man that uh is a good cop and a good man and he wants to be a good cop and a good man but he lives at a time where due to his skin color things are really rough for him he's he's got to be very careful obviously um (laughs) white people weren't that good to black people back then either so uh spoiler alert uh, so it, it's all of that. It's just a beat guy doing what's right. He ignores it for a while, but eventually Perry gets to him. So um, just really strong performances, and he is really great. Chris Chalk is Paul Drake. He kind of has to come to the decision. And then you get halfway through the season, a big shocker, EB leaves his oven on and kills himself. Right as the trial's about to go on, Sister Alice comes out and says she's going to revive Charlie, and um, so this whole time the police eventually originally go after the the husband, the father of Charlie, but eventually it 's proven that he it wasn 't him, but it 's also proven that his wife uh gail Rankin emily Dodson is charlie dot um Dodson is the name of the family that she actually had an affair with one of the kidnappers, so all of a sudden emily dobson becomes it's she 's on trial she becomes a suspect. And uh, with the help of Maynard Bain, Stephen Root's character, there becomes a whole. Obviously, this is with times weren't that good to women in the 30s, especially anywhere that can be known as promiscuous. So, obviously, she becomes public enemy number one and automatically murdered her son. So, with all this going on, E.B. dies and she needs a lawyer. But she also, at this time, gets caught up with Sister Alice's rhetoric of that. Sister Alice can bring her son back. And she starts preaching Sister Alice's thing of, oh, my son's going to be back. And it's this backdrop through which Detective Perry Mason decides, along with the help of Della Street, who is E.B.'s assistant, who is an amazing character played by Juliet Rylance on this show, She kind of she's the heart of the two. Uh, whereas E.B. and uh, Perry don't really seem to really give a shit. They're just doing their job. She really cares about the humanity and Emily Dodson as a person and believes in Emily Dodson. Uh, and she talks Perry into basically fudging his bar and doing what he needs to to become a lawyer. So in the middle of all this, Perry becomes a lawyer, and you have that first episode, him, the squeaky wheels, him versus Steven Root on the stand. Steven Root is amazing on this, and you really get to see how Perry Mason gets born and the creation of Perry Mason, and those last couple episodes is really where Matthew Reese really nails the Perry Mason character, and you're like, yeah, this is the guy. We find out eventually it was the church to cover up financial things and stuff like that that they were doing. They were going to do this so they could hide some money. Things went bad. The, the kid got killed and the cops covered everything up. Uh, but the big thing is we learn all this, but when it comes to the trial at the end of the season – Perry actually sets it up so that it's a mistrial because he knows he can't win. So he actually kind of sets up things and, and rigs the trial and they actually pay off one of the jurors so that it's a mistrial. So at the end of the day, Perry Mason wins, Emily Dodson gets off, but he... Compromises to do it. And that's not exactly the Raymond Burr Perry Mason I remember as a kid. But oh man, I loved it. Uh the moral ambiguity and I can't wait till next season. And the best thing, the best thing about this whole series is after the final, right when the final credits roll, you realize there's been something missing this whole time. Uh I don't know much about Perry Mason growing up, but there's one thing that sticks in my head when I think of Perry Mason, and that's that theme song. And you don't hear it once through the whole series until the end of the last episode of the credits start rolling. And that song kicks on, and I honestly, man, as much as I love this whole season, man, I'm talking to or women, whoever's listening, as much as I love this whole season, that song playing at the very end, wow, I got such a kick out of it. It really made me smile. So uh this goes on, in the hall of HBO shows as another amazing HBO show. I don't know how they keep doing it, especially this year. They just keep knocking shit out. I uh, finished this show and I'm like, cool, at least I don't have to watch HBO for a while. No, Lovecraft Country is on now and it's fucking awesome too. So, uh, I'm going to be constantly stuck watching HBO shows and that's okay. So, I highly recommend Perry Mason on HBO Season 1. It's up there now on HBO or HBO Max or however you get HBO. You got some time? It's only eight. I think it's like eight episodes. It's a quick watch. Check it out. I give it five out of five. Really fucking good. All right. Tough scene, Cleveland. Tough scene, Cleveland. Well... It's almost getting kind of old, I, uh, I'm not a shill, I don't have a contract with anybody, especially not cable companies, or uh, cable content providers, like HBO, there's nothing that makes me come up here to you and gush about HBO series on a regular basis, it seems, In fact, one of the big hallmarks of my show since I started in the last little bit over a month is I've talked a lot about HBO stuff. That is not the plan. Um, I just got done watching Perry Mason a couple weeks ago that ended and I will actually have a full season review, a spoiler review on this episode too. If you're listening to this, you'll be hearing that in a minute, I will break down, um, Perry Mason, which was amazing, and I thought after Perry Mason, I was like, all right, good, I can take a break from HBO for a while, it's gonna be a long time, maybe Watchmen 2, maybe the next time I'll care about uh, HBO, if they do a sequel, I'll have some time, I can watch some other stuff, I can decompress from HBO a little bit, and then I see, uh, so I saw a trailer for Lovecraft Country, and it looked pretty cool. It looked pretty sweet. I wasn't really sure what it was about. It looked pretty insane. I saw Jordan Peele and J.J. Uh, J. Abrams. It was a collaboration. And uh, that's a pretty weird collaboration. I was kind of interested in it. But it wasn't something that I was like, I can't wait for. It's like like, oh, I'll catch it. It's probably like big budget, but this is going to be HBO's kind of failure. It seems a little bit too, uh, they're reaching a little too much on this one. But that shows what the fuck I know and how stupid I am, because I always have the wrong first initial impression, but luckily I ignored that, because it is HBO, and I'm like, I'll watch the pilot, because it does look pretty sweet, and if they don't fuck it up, it could be awesome, but I just don't see how they can pull something this crazy off, and uh, this isn't going to be a spoiler review, this is just going to be talking about my impressions of the first episode. And this show is fucking insane. Uh, although I won't spoil anything, I will give you a, at least how I saw the first opening minutes of the show. It's black and white, and you see the, the main character, Atticus, but it's in a dream. Um, and Atticus is played by Jonathan Majors, who I think is going to be a breakout star from this already. He was awesome. He definitely can lead this show. Uh, it's not even in doubt that this guy's the right guy to be the lead actor on this show, but he's uh it looks like World War two maybe World War one I'm not well this takes place in like the fifties, so probably World War two that he's thinking of um and there's some narration I think it's a quote from Jackie Robinson that's kind of given over while he's running through this very artistic black and white beautiful, and then you see some color in the sky, and it all opens up, and then you see, like, UFOs blasting the shit out of everything, and you're like, okay, what the fuck is going on here, um, then at some point, Cthulhu, because this is Lovecraft, I think I'm saying it right, Cthulhu, or is it Tulu? it's Cthulhu, um, If I'm saying it wrong, I guess I'm not fucking metal enough. You'll have to forgive me, please. Once again, in my life, another thing I fail at because I'm just not metal enough. But uh, I can live with it, so I hope you can too. Anyways, this thing comes out, it's about to eat Atticus. Then all of a sudden, fucking Jackie Robinson smashes it with a baseball bat. (laughs) And And then some, like, pink chick gets transported down from the spaceships and I guess that's like a callback to John Carter from Mars see I'm going to be confused by a lot of this because I don't I'm not a scholar I know a lot of dork stuff but when it comes like real legitimate literature it's stuff that you kind of learn about if you're a little higher educated I don't know about any of that shit so I I, I'm not uh 100% up to date on like Lovecraft obviously I know Cthulhu and other things like that but that's pretty much I know he was like a Nazi too I think right or some sort of like Nazi you know fuck that guy but and I know he never made a dime off his shit uh he died broke but uh other than that I don't really know much about Lovecraft's writing or stories or anything like that but holy shit whatever they're taking with this uh they're mixing it and it makes me want to learn more about this stuff and Other things like, uh, you know, just mixing and stuff like John Carter, which is not Lovecraft at all, but just a famous science fiction story. Um, The focus on literature is amazing, and it it makes me really interested in digging up some of the stuff that they're talking about and referencing and actually checking it out, Uh, the early sci-fi and early horror. And I think that's a really awesome aspect of this show. So that first scene is just craziness, and it just kind of uh, leads into... A show that I would describe as there's elements of this show that show the the movie The Green Book with Vigo Mortensen and uh oh god well Michaela oh man, I don't even want to say his name wrong, but the guy from True Detective, that's fucking awesome. The and that's from uh Luke Cage, the awesome actor guy. I don't have the pronunciation in front of me and I don't wanna say his name wrong, but he's fucking awesome. Um What else is there uh uh, what was it called, oh, yeah, so the green, that movie, the green book, sorry, I just got lost there, there's, like, an element to that, because it all takes place, you know, with them traveling through America in the 50s, through different, you know, counties and stuff, uh, and, of course, it's just full of hateful, racist white people everywhere you go, you know, um, your sundown counties where basically if you're black and you're out and about after sundown, they just hang you real awful, you know, great America, great again, type fucking shit that they expose in this. And it really makes you sick to be an American a little bit, but uh, there's elements of that. Obviously big. They even follow the green book while they're traveling; they have it with them. Um, it's also in that aspect, Lord of the Rings, it kind of feels like there are the hobbits trying to make it to Mount Doom, and all of, uh, Sauron's agents, which would, in this case, would be white people, are just hunting them down in every turn, it's just danger, and they just gotta, uh, complete this quest. Uh, there's also, um... There's just a lot of weird. Also, at one point, it turns into Night of Living Dead by the end of this, uh, <laughs> of this, uh, pilot, at least. It gets really frigging crazy. And there is, it feels like a, in Night of the Living Dead for, for a little bit. Uh, amazing show. It is, uh, brought to us by, uh, Jordan Peele, J.J. Abrams, among others. And the showrunner is Misha Green. It's based off a 2016 novel by Matt Ruff. So it's actually like, if you want to go spoil it, and go read the book, you can do that, um, starring Jonathan Majors as as Atticus a a Star, uh, Journey Smollett, really good in it, uh, she's actually Jesse Smollett's sister, the guy that had the controversy with, uh, did he get beaten up, or was that a lie, or, I, I don't even know how the fuck that ended up, uh, Michael K. Williams, Omar, Omar Colin, also Chalky White, uh, HBO Legend returns to another HBO show here. I wonder how many HBO credits he has now. I uh, last I like last I used to follow like the actors that had been in the most HBO stuff. But I like kind of like JD Williams at, at like 3 was <laughs> where I kind of lost count. Uh, he played like Bodie uh, on The Wire. Uh, Cla- uh what you call Lester from The Wire. He'd been in like on like 3 different things at last I count, but now there's got to be guys that have beaten that. Um and Michael K. Williams might be up there with I wonder if yeah, I gotta check that out who has the most HBO credits. I wonder if that's something someone else has kept track of. I might just have to watch every HBO show over again. I'll make that sacrifice. The director is uh Jan Demange. Who I think really stood out in this, fucking awesome. Him and Jonathan Majors really were the most impressive things. Uh, the director and the star of the show—they really showed that they can handle this shit and that they're, they're. This isn't a work in progress. This is fucking awesome. Now and these guys are ready to kick some fucking ass. This show's great. Um, at times it can be brutal. Anything that, anything that follows black people into the history of America, you know there's going to be some ugliness, especially if it's, you know, they're traveling through different areas where they're exposed to white people. It's bad shit's always going to happen, but this goes a whole new fucking level on the craziness. If you love horror, if you, honestly, if you love horror and bloody brutality, you're going to love the show. Uh, Once again, it's HBO doing something that uh, shouldn't be groundbreaking, but I think it kind of is with taking a, Having all black casts on shows that aren't, that are a little bit out of the way of what we normally see, you know, like, okay, an all black cast on The Wire was amazing, but it's about Baltimore, you know, crime and justice. It's not that much of a stretch, uh, and that's the kind of roles that, you know, you would have African Americans in mostly through most of, you know, the history of TV, but to have an all African American cast on sh- on shows a superhero show like The Watchmen to take Watchmen and be able to blend it into African American history and make it relevant, make it work, and not just crammed in there, um, and to use the genre of superheroes to sh- teach maybe your dumb white person that doesn't understand everything, or a dumb black person, anyone that that's not educated on these things that happened in the past. You actually learn a little bit. And this show does the same thing, too. Uh, and I think it's really interesting, even in the scope of a horror, uh, science fiction-type show, to do it. And I just love the fact that it is changing the whole genre, where it's just, you know, they're using a black cast to do something that, like I said, shouldn't be groundbreaking, shouldn't be out of the ordinary, but to do fantasy and to do horror. And Jordan Peele, obviously, has been a big... Uh, one of the people that has led that and uh, it's really awesome that he uh, teamed up with a TV legend like H.A.J. Abrams, someone that can kind of uh, help smooth out a lot of the things with like the networks and stuff like that, not like HBO's a problem or anything like that, but has just launched a lot of big projects before and to have a uh, a creator that's Also doing that on his own, too, but is also still very young and hungry and and coming up the ladder. And putting those two together, I think, is a really cool thing, and this is a really kick-ass show. I love, love the pilot, and uh, I'm in for the rest of the season. All right, well, that is Lovecraft Country on HBO. I will also have next, uh, we'll have uh, a full season review for Perry Mason. It will be a spoiler review. So if you want to hear me kiss HBO's ass a little bit more, stay tuned. Tough scene Cleveland.